Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, New City family. Uh, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. I'm so excited to be able to dive into God's Word, to preach God's Word. Uh, thankful for this opportunity. Uh, as most of you know, this is actually my first opportunity uh, to be able to preach the Word, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, you know, when I thought about preaching in the past, uh, I always imagined that maybe the first time I would preach, uh, I would preach uh, maybe a softball passage, like uh, Ephesians 2 or Romans 8, something very clear, something very encouraging. You know, I understand the, the clear teaching of 2 Timothy 3.16, that the entire Bible is God's word, that it's important, and that ultimately it all points us to Jesus. Uh, but if I'm just kind of being real with you, you know, I imagined, again, that maybe the first time I preached, uh, I would get assigned maybe an encouraging text, uh, something about God's love or the fact that we're more than conquerors. Uh, but, not, but, but not today. Today I have the opportunity to dive into Exodus chapter 5 with you and talk about suffering and doubt. So thank you, Eric, for that. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, as I've studied uh, this passage over the last couple weeks, you know, just in preparation for today, I think it was evident to me that this would be a timely message, uh, hopefully for our church at large, but maybe even especially for myself. Uh, if I'm being upfront and honest with you guys, uh, over the last couple months, uh, at times I've wrestled with uh, quite a bit of doubt. Over the last couple months, uh, I've been reading through the Old Testament, and as I've done that, uh, I've re-encountered some hard text, uh, re-encountered some hard truths that have uh, at times maybe questioned God's goodness, uh, and even, uh, even in other times questioned his existence. Uh, and then pair that with the continued manifestations of racism that have just dominated all of our minds as we've seen in our culture over the last couple months. And I'd be lying if I, if I, if I didn't say that that also has caused, caused me to doubt God's goodness at times. You know, as I share that, I realize I'm not alone. Maybe you, like me, have wrestled with quite a bit of doubt over the past couple months. You know, maybe the quarantine and the COVID-19 outbreak has caused you to ask the question, why God? Why have me moved to a new place? Why have me moved to Tampa on mission only to be stuck inside for months? Maybe the continued uh, racism in our country has made you ask, God, are you really there? Are you really good? How long until your kingdom comes? How long until this ends? You know, maybe you're not a Christian here today, or you're joining us online and you're not a Christian, uh, and you question or doubt whether God even exists in the first place. Uh, or maybe, to a degree, I think this will uh, encompass all of us, you're just sitting here today questioning, what in the world is the year 2020? What is going on in the midst of all of this? God, what are you doing in all of this chaos? Uh, either way, you know, I'm confident that I'm not alone in doubting. In fact, today's passage deals with doubt and suffering head on. Uh, and so before we jump into our text, I do want to give you just the main idea, the main thing that's going to frame up our time. Uh, and so my main point today is this, that God remains faithful in the midst of our suffering and doubt. I'll say it again. God remains faithful in the midst of our suffering and doubt. Uh, this topic and main point, uh, if it may come as a little bit of a surprise. Uh, if you remember what we saw at the end of Exodus chapter 4 last week, uh, chapter 4, it ends on a bit of a high note. You know, Moses and Aaron, they're performing uh, the signs for the Israelite elders, and then the Israelites worship God, confident that he's going to liberate them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, as Eric showed us last week, Moses uh, was doubting God in chapters 3 and 4, but if we, if we paid attention, he was doubting that God could use him. And as we saw last week, God answered all of those doubts, uh, and he goes and he performs these signs to the Israelites, and then they worship God in anticipation of being freed from slavery. But as we'll see today, God's plan, it did not play out the way that they expected it to. As we'll see, their obedience to God ends up leading to further suffering and ultimately doubt. And so with that in mind, I did want to just let you know on the front end of our time today that the, that the first half or even two-thirds of our time is intentionally going to be a little bit heavy. 
Uh, as we go through it, it's not going to seem very hopeful, uh, but I'm intentionally doing this because Exodus 5 itself is a bit of a valley. Uh, we're going to see some hard things, and I'm going to do my best to help us sit in that. Uh, and then on the back end of our time at the end, I'm going to remind us of the hope that we have in the midst of all of this. Uh, and so that being said, let's go ahead and get our Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 5, uh, and we're going to start by reading verses 1 to 9. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Uh, so like I said, we're just going to go ahead and pause right there. Uh, I'm just quickly going to recap what we just saw. So in verse one, uh, we see Moses and Aaron, they go before Pharaoh, and this is the first interaction we see them have. Uh, those of us that know the story of Exodus, we know that Moses and Aaron, they actually speak with Pharaoh quite a bit in this book. We'll see that over the next several weeks. Uh, but this is actually the first time we see them interact in our study. Uh, they come out confidently in verse 1, and they say the famous words, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. Uh, when we think about the story of Exodus, uh, I think this is one of the things that we immediately think of. Uh, this phrase has been used in movies and in music over the years. Uh, when we think about Exodus, many of us think about what we just read. Again, Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh and declaring, let my people go, really boldly. However, uh, as we just saw, that's not the end of the story. As we just read, Pharaoh's heart, it's not softened. He doesn't let the Israelites go. Uh, in fact, we see essentially the opposite response. Uh, instead, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Look back at verse 2. Pharaoh responds, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So, so Moses and Aaron, again, context is important. Moses and Aaron, they come in riding the high from having just performed the signs for the Israelites at the end of chapter four. They're on a high note. Uh, again, the doubt that Moses had about God using him from chapters three and four, that's completely gone at this point. And they boldly walk in in verse one uh, and command that Pharaoh let the people go. But again, Pharaoh responds in verse two by asking the question, who is the Lord? And then he says he's not going to let them go. Now, just as a quick side point, uh, over the next couple of weeks as we continue to study the book of Exodus, we're going to see God answer Pharaoh's prideful question very, very directly and profoundly. Uh, but in this moment, it seems like Pharaoh is in control, and he tells Moses and Aaron no. And then in verse 3, Moses and Aaron, they ask Pharaoh a second time. Uh, but this time, if you noticed when I read it, they, ask, they actually ask for a little bit less. Rather than ask a second time for the Israelites to be completely released from slavery, this time Moses and Aaron, they try to make it sound a little bit better. They basically ask if they can just leave for a three-day vacation to go worship God in the wilderness. Uh, obviously, Pharaoh again responds by saying no to this. Uh, and then in verses 5 to 9, Pharaoh makes a decree to make the Israelites' slavery even harsher. He, uh, again, he makes it more difficult for them to produce bricks but he expects them to still be able to meet their daily quota. So he makes it harder. He harshens their slavery. 
So how do we make sense of all of this? Again, Moses and Aaron, they went before Pharaoh, declared that he let the people go just like God had told them to do, but it doesn't lead to immediate liberation or freedom. It actually leads to harsher oppression. You know, that actually brings us to our first observation from our passage today, and that's that obedience oftentimes leads to suffering. You know, as I said, Moses and Aaron, they were obedient to God. They were obedient to God here, but rather than seeing immediate liberation right afterwards, the Israelites end up facing even heavier burdens. Uh, If you put yourself in their shoes, I think we can all understand some of the disappointment of expecting to see freedom only to end up seeing harsher bondage. Uh, Again, their obedience itself led to suffering. You know, I think this is something we understand in general. Uh, We know in general that sometimes doing the right thing can lead to pain or suffering. Uh, For instance, uh, how many of you, I don't know how many of you may remember those cheesy pass it on commercials from the early 2000s. The message would be something like honesty, pass it on, or or courage, pass it on. It was something along those lines. They were just really the epitome of really cheesy early 2000s TV. Uh, But the one that sticks out the most in my head uh, is one that kind of takes place during a basketball game. I'm not sure if you guys know which one I'm talking about. Uh, But basically, uh, there's a referee. He gets a call wrong in a basketball game. uh, And this one player on the team, uh, he wants to be honest with the ref, tell him the truth, uh, even though it would hurt his team. Uh, And he goes into the huddle. He mentions this to the coach. Uh, All of his teammates, they collectively are mad at him because it's going to cost them the game. Uh, And the commercial basically ends with the coach telling him, yeah, you know, go tell the ref uh, the right thing. And and so he does the right thing, uh, and the commercial kind of ends with his teammates that are still upset at him. And at the end, it says, sportsmanship, pass it on. Uh, Again, as cheesy as those commercials were, they did get one thing right. uh, And that's that doing the right thing does at times lead to pain, rejection, or suffering. Doing the right thing doesn't mean that everything's going to end in rainbows and butterflies. Uh, We know in general that doing good and right things uh, can lead to pain or difficulty. And on a much, much more serious note, that's what we see here with the Israelites. Again, a much, much more serious note. The Israelites' obedience to God led to further suffering. However, as we know that in the Bible, this idea isn't unique to the people of Israel. All right? The idea of obedience to God leading to suffering, it's true for Christians as well. We see this all throughout the New Testament. All throughout it, Christians are continually told that we will suffer for the sake of Christ. You don't need to flip to these passages, but I just quickly want to remind you of a few that kind of speak to this idea. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says this. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I don't know if you caught that, uh, but Paul here puts faith and suffering in the exact same category for the Christian. If we have faith in Christ, we will also suffer for Christ. Next, take James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, and lastly, I could really just uh, quote you the entire book of 1 Peter, uh, because the entire thing is about suffering uh, unjustly as a Christian and, and walking through that. I think all of us had the opportunity to see that as we went through 1 Peter in our groups a couple months ago. Felt like we were talking about suffering every single week. Uh, but here's a specific chunk. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, So my point in showing us these passages is to show us something very clear, and that's that the call to follow Jesus is a call to suffer. 
Like Moses and Aaron, our obedience to God is oftentimes the thing that leads to suffering in our lives. Uh, and many times, I think when we talk about obedience leading to suffering for the Christian, you know, we think a lot about church history, maybe Christian missionaries who were martyred for their faith, uh, and rightfully so, we should never stop telling their stories. However, as I mentioned, this is true for every single follower of Jesus. Our obedience leads to suffering. Uh, and so here are a couple examples of this that I think will hit a little bit closer to home for us today. If you are obedient to share the gospel in your workplace with your coworkers, that very well may lead to you being ostracized from the group. It happens. When college students are obedient to Jesus on their campus and they don't partake in the same things, the, th- the same sins as their peers, you know, oftentimes they face persecution or mockery. Christians who speak up and take action on the issue of abortion are continually demonized in our culture because we speak up on behalf of the unborn. Or even think about the realities of fighting against racial injustice that are at the forefront of our minds right now. Black Christians who have fought for and continue to fight for justice, they face persecution for doing what is right in the eyes of God. Uh, And white Christians, as we join them and we do the same, we can expect many of our family members, many of our friends, many of our neighbors, and even our coworkers to attack us as well. But we aren't called to be silent and passive in any of these things. We're called to actively speak the truth of God into each of these circumstances. We're called to preach the gospel and to speak out into all circumstances with biblical truth, which brings us back to Moses and Aaron. As we saw, they were obedient to God. They went before Pharaoh and declared that the Israelites be freed, but the immediate response from Pharaoh, as we saw, was even greater oppression. And so we're going to continue to see that uh, as we finish up reading the rest of the chapter. Uh, Let's go ahead and continue and read verses 10 to 23. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered all throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So there is your encouraging end to Exodus chapter 5. Like I said, it's it's pretty heavy, it's pretty weighty, it's a bit of a valley. Uh, But again, I just want to take a moment here to just recap what we just read. Uh, In verses 10 and 11, we see uh, again the decree that Pharaoh makes, that the Israelites' labor is to be made harsher. He's harshened their slavery. Uh, In verse 13, the taskmasters, they go and they communicate this to the people of Israel as a whole. Uh, And as expected, we see in verse 14, the sad reality that the Israelites, they failed to meet their daily quota, this unjust quota, uh, and then they are beaten for it. After this, in verses 15 and 16, we see the leaders of Israel, the elders of Israel, uh, they come to Pharaoh and they plead with him. 
They say, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. So don't miss this. The Israelite leaders come before Pharaoh here and they actually declare the truth. They point out that the fault, it's with the law. It's with the system of oppression. It's not with the Israelites themselves. The decree that Pharaoh made was unjust. It was impossible for the Israelites to do. It was impossible for them to live up to. However, Pharaoh does what many people today call victim blaming. The Israelites, they were right in pointing out that the problem was with Pharaoh, that it was with the Egyptians. But rather than accept that, Pharaoh blames the Israelites in verses 17 and 18. He says this, he says, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So Pharaoh, his heart continues to be hardened here, and he blames the Israelites, essentially saying, it's your fault, you're lazy. That's, that's the reality. Uh, and it's important to note, how does he try and prove that? How does he try and prove that the Israelites are lazy? Well, he actually uses Moses and Aaron coming before him and asking for the people to be free to try and prove it. Uh, he, try, he uses that to try and prove that they're lazy. So don't miss this. Pharaoh intensifies the suffering of the Israelites specifically because Moses and Aaron did what God told them to do. I'm going to say that one more time just so we get it. Pharaoh intensifies the suffering of the Israelites specifically because Moses and Aaron did what God told them to do. This is a tough reality. This blindsided Moses and the Israelites, and we see their response in verses 20 to 23 show that. In verse 20, the leaders of Israel, they come to Moses and Aaron. They're outraged because, again, now they're facing harsher oppression, uh, and they say this in verse 20. They say, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So the leaders of Israel, they come to Moses and Aaron and they ask, why have you done this? You've made our slavery harsher. You've put a sword in their hand to kill us. You know, and if I put myself in their shoes, I can honestly kind of understand where they're coming from. You know, obviously Moses is also disheartened by this. Look at his response in verses 22 and 23. It says, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So after Pharaoh harshens the Israelite slavery, the Israelites, they turn and they blame Moses, and Moses turns and he blames God. Again, we need to remember the context. We can understand the full weight of this when we understand the context. Just think about the disappointment that Moses and the Israelites were experiencing after everything that has happened in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4. In chapter 3, Moses, he encounters God in the burning bush, as we saw a couple weeks ago. God told Moses that he was going to use him to free the Israelites from slavery. Then God provided Moses with some signs so that the Israelites would believe that he truly had been sent from God. And as we saw last week, Moses and Aaron, they went before the Israelites. They showed them these signs. And at the end of chapter 4, at the very end, we are left in a state of hope, worship, and rejoicing. Moses and the Israelites are confident that God has heard their cries and is going to free them from slavery because he said he was going to. But as we've seen today, again, their obedience led them to further suffering. And as we just saw in verses 20 to 23, their suffering led them to a place of doubt. That actually brings us to our second observation from our passage today, and that's the suffering oftentimes leads to doubt. That's what we're left with in verses 22 and 23. We're left with Moses doubting God and even accusing God of not doing what he said. In verse 23, Moses says, you have not delivered your people at all. He's accusing God of being a liar. 
And, and he's accusing God of not being faithful to do what he said he'd do. Uh, and just to be clear, you know, this is different. Uh, if you've been able to join us the last couple of weeks, you know, this is different. This is a different kind of doubt than what we've seen in Moses the last couple of weeks. You know, over the past couple of weeks, Moses has doubted himself. He's doubted his abilities. He's doubted that God could use him. It's all been self-focused. But the doubt that we see here at the end of Exodus 5 is a doubt that God is good or faithful. He's doubting God's goodness and faithfulness. This is not how we like to picture Moses, right? Uh, I can assure you that growing up, I never heard this side of Moses. Uh, the only parts of Moses' story that I ever heard were the, you know, the let my people go part that we read, uh, and then the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, but here we see a much different side of Moses. We see Moses doubting God's faithfulness. Uh, and so playing off of that, you know, I just quickly want to speak to something here that I think is important that's actually not our main point, but I think is important to point out. You know, I can't speak for all of us, but how many of us can relate more with Moses in this moment of doubt than whenever he's leading the Israelites to the Red Sea? How many of us can relate more with Moses in this place of doubt than whenever we see his great acts throughout the entire book of Exodus? This should remind us of an important truth about how we read the Bible. When we read about these Bible heroes in the Old Testament and we see their great acts, those are supposed to point us to Jesus, not ourselves. We are more represented by the failures that we see in these Bible heroes, and Jesus is represented in their accomplishments. So my point in sharing that is the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus, and we have to be on guard. We have to be sure that we are reading it in that way. Um, I could spend an entire 20 minutes just ranting about that, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring it back to the main idea here. You know, again, I think that all of us can relate to Moses in this place of doubt. I think it's safe for me to assume that even if you aren't currently in a season, maybe you are, but even if you aren't currently in a season of doubting God's goodness, there's been a time in your life where that's been true. And I also think it's safe for me to assume that, that oftentimes, you know, our doubt comes from a season of either personal suffering or seeing someone that we care about suffer. You know, I shared at the very beginning of our time today that this, you know, over the last couple months has been a season of doubt for myself. I've wrestled with doubt. I mentioned a couple reasons, you know, reading through some hard texts, reworking through them, reworking through some hard truths about God. Also seeing the suffering that we've seen as a result of racism in our country. But there have been, other, there have been a couple other things that have, that have factored in that I didn't mention on the front end. You know, for one, a couple that Claire and I, my wife and I, are, are really great friends with, uh, that we are deep friends with, we care about them so much, they actually recently went through a miscarriage. You know, we've been so encouraged by how they've walked through this difficult thing with hope. But again, at, at the same time, it's hard to see your very close friends go through something like that. Uh, on top of that, I had a really difficult uh, and sensitive situation come to light in my family a couple months ago that I really can't go into detail about, uh, but I can just say that it was hard. And so I share those things to say many things led to this place of doubting God's goodness. But so much of it was linked to suffering, even if not by me personally, by people I cared about. And I'm sure each of you can relate to me in that. I'm sure each of you have had nights lying in bed questioning what God is doing in your life. Questioning, God, where are you at in the midst of this suffering? God, why would you allow my family to be broken apart? God, why won't you give me a job? Or maybe, God, why did you give me a job that I hate? God, why would you allow the suffering to happen in my childhood? God, why am I being persecuted for doing the very thing that you called me to do? I don't know what it is, that makes you doubt God's goodness. But I know for a fact that each and every one of us has been there. But I also want to remind us, uh, myself uh, and each of us today, that Exodus 5 isn't the end of the story. And that's great news for us. Exodus 5 is heavy, and it ends in a place of intensified slavery and doubt. It just ends there. But that's not the end of the story. There are going to be moments in our lives of doubt and despair, but as Christians, we know the story does not end here. 
You know, I don't want to give away Eric's sermon for next week because I think it's going to be super hopeful after this. Uh, But I do want us to see God's response to Moses at the start of Exodus chapter 6. Again, here at the end of Exodus 5, Moses is in deep doubt. He's accusing God of not being faithful. He's accusing God of being a liar. And then God graciously responds to him at the start of chapter 6. Look at verse 1. It says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So, So in verse 1, God reminds Moses that God himself is going to be the one to bring the Israelites out of slavery. You know, this brings us to our third and final observation from our text today, and that's that God remains faithful. There's actually something, if I'm being completely honest with you, that, I, that I've really just kept with you uh, to this point, that it's a really important point that I, I haven't shared with you yet um, until, until right now. And that's that in Exodus 5, Moses and the Israelites, as we've seen, they were in a place of doubting God's goodness because they thought that God wasn't doing what he said he'd do, right? Again, Moses accused God of not being faithful, of not doing what he said he'd do. And if we just read Exodus 5 by itself, we, we, we took it out of its context and just read it by itself, we might even be tempted to think that Moses was right. But God actually warned Moses that all of this would happen ahead of time. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, when God is speaking to Moses in the burning bush, he says this. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Uh, And then, you know, pair that with Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. You know, Moses is preparing to return to Egypt. God tells him this. He says, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But, big but, I will put, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Here's my point. Before Moses ever went before Pharaoh, God had told him multiple times that Pharaoh wouldn't listen at first and that God himself would be the one who would lead the Israelites out by his hand. You know, I think this shows us something about the doubt that Moses has, but also the doubt that we often face as believers. And that's that doubting God is often rooted in forgetting what God has said. So often we doubt God's goodness because we forget what he's already communicated in his word. God had told Moses that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened, but when it actually happened, Moses despaired. I think it's easy for us sitting here today. uh, We we look back, we know that God ultimately does fulfill his promise and he liberates the Israelites from slavery. He does everything he said he was going to do. But in that time, in the midst of the actual suffering that's going on, Moses forgot what God had said and he despaired. And honestly, we often do the exact same thing. We are so guilty of this as Christians who live in America. As American Christians, I know that many of us, we see the culture changing around us, becoming more and more secular, and we worry about losing our rights, right? I hear a lot of people say, worried about losing our rights as Americans, and you know, I understand that. But as Christians, America has never been our ultimate home. Happy Fourth of July, by the way. Um, But the promise given to every Christian, including those of us that live in America, is that we will suffer as we are obedient to Christ. This is a promise. We should not be surprised that the world around us continues to grow more and more hostile to our message because Jesus told us this was going to happen. In the Gospels, Jesus warns us multiple times that the world will reject us because the world rejected him. We shouldn't be surprised by this, even though we live in a country where we've unfortunately been able to idolize comfort for far too long. So in the midst of this uncertainty about the future, we need to remember what God has said and be ready to stand firm on his word. We need to remember that this reality of suffering is true for us regardless of where we live. And so when suffering comes, and it will, and we are tempted to doubt God's goodness, and we will, we need to remember what he's already said in his word and be prepared to stand firm. You know, I think Pastor Matt Chandler at the Village Church, he sums up this idea of 
of doubt and God's faithfulness very well. He says it like this. He says, only the love, patience, and grace of God is more consistent in the scriptures than the forgetfulness of God's people. It's true for us. So often we doubt God's goodness because we forget what God has already said and done. But praise God, even in our forgetfulness, he remains faithful. Uh, And in just a moment, at the very end of our time, I'm going to remind us, I'm going to unpack that ultimate reason that we can trust God's faithfulness. But before I get there, as just a quick aside here, uh, I want to take a moment to speak to possibly those of you who are joining us either here today or maybe you're joining us online. uh, And you would say that you are not a Christian. I want to kind of address that. You know, I realize that the majority of us here uh, in this room, we are Christians. Uh, and so for us, what I'm about to speak to, uh, speak to uh, can also help to equip us as we have conversations uh, with people around us that are not believers uh, when we talk about the suffering in the world. But again, to the non-Christian, I want to pose to you today that only a Christian worldview is big enough to properly deal with suffering and doubt. If someone claims to believe in a secular, atheistic world, maybe you yourself, I would challenge that it's just inconsistent with the general human feelings about suffering. From a non-believing material understanding of the world, suffering is pointless. If you were to be consistent with that worldview, every ounce of suffering that has happened in all of human history was ultimately purposeless. There's no greater purpose that it's serving, and there is no true justice in the end. However, if we're just kind of being honest with one another, we know that's not a good enough answer. We all know that when we see the brokenness of the world through things like racism, cancer, and death, we know that the world is not how it ought to be. And as Christians, we can say that. We can say that the world isn't how it ought to be because we believe in a God who created the world to be perfect. And we know that as humans, we sin and we have broken the world. And we also long for the day when Jesus comes back and the world is restored. However, if you're being consistent, if you hold to a non-believing secular background, you couldn't say that the world should be any different than it is. If you say that, you're really just borrowing from religious or religion. You're just kind of borrowing some religious ideas because your worldview just kind of says the world is what it is. You know, I don't say that to be mean or to be rude, but to show that suffering specifically highlights the reality that deep down at our very core, all of us know that there is a God and we all know that we need his just rule, his just judgment. So if maybe you do happen to be joining us here or again online, and you come from a uh, secular atheistic background, I just challenge you to consider whether your worldview is actually big enough to handle suffering. What or where is your hope coming from in the midst of the chaos in this world? You know, I'd also challenge you to continue to join us on Sundays as we work through the book of Exodus to see, uh, see this God that we serve as we see this story, this great story of God's deliverance play out. But as we, uh, as we close out our time this morning, I just want to take a few minutes to remind us again, you know, I've been working up to this moment to remind us uh, of why we can trust that God is faithful in the midst of our suffering and doubt. You know, as we'll see next week in Exodus chapter six, God reminds Moses that he is faithful, that he will do what he said he'll do. Uh, we, we, have the privilege, we have the privilege of living on this side of, of the Exodus narrative. We have the privilege of living on this side of the cross. That means that we can look back And we can read this story about how God liberates the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and how he brings them in the promised land like he said he was going to. But not only that, we know what God was ultimately doing in all of this. We know that every ounce of suffering, doubt, and difficulty in the Old Testament was leading us to God's greatest display of faithfulness in sending Jesus. Talk about obedience leading to suffering. Jesus understands that more than we ever will. Jesus came to earth. God himself took on human flesh lived a perfectly obedient, sinless life before God the Father, 
And because Jesus was the God-man who, who offended sinful people with his very existence, he was nailed to the cross. But even the cross itself shows us that God is faithful because in seemingly the greatest injustice in human history, the Son of God being nailed to a cross, God was working his plan. Jesus' death on the cross was the payment that satisfied the wrath of God for sin, and through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to become new people who have a restored relationship with God. So the ultimate display of obedience leading to suffering is Jesus' life and death itself, and it shows us how God, and it is the thing that God used to redeem sinful and doubting people like you and me. So Christian, very simply, when we're tempted to doubt if God is faithful, we need to look to the cross. We need to look to God's word and see that he's always been faithful and he always will be. As Christians, we have the greatest hope in the world in the face of injustice, suffering, and doubt because we have a savior that went before us in all of this. And so I wanna challenge us as we close out our time today with two points of application that I think come directly out of our time in Exodus 5. The first application is the way in which we fight doubt and that's by running to God's word, by reading God's word. Uh, again, Moses' doubt was birthed out of forgetting what God had said. You know, it was, it, was, it was birthed out of forgetting what God had already told him. And we do the same thing. As we doubt God's goodness in the world, we need to go back to his word daily to be reminded of what God is doing. You know, there is nothing Satan would like more than for a doubting Christian to look to the world for answers instead of looking to God's word. Think about Jesus himself. In Luke chapter four, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. It's always struck me as you read that. Uh, what does Jesus do each and every time Satan tempts him? Jesus immediately responds by quoting God's word. He immediately reminds himself of what God has said, and that's Jesus. That's the Son of God. Think about how much we need that. You know, I think this shows us the importance of reminding ourselves daily of God's word whenever we are tempted to doubt. As Christians, we know the end game. We know how all of this is going to end. We, we know that suffering isn't pointless. We know that God meets us in our doubting and shows himself to be faithful, like he does for Moses in Exodus chapter 6, as we're going to see next week. So Christians, again, my first application for today is simple. When we are tempted to doubt God's goodness, let's remember what he's already said and done by looking to his word. Let's go back to his word and remember the cross and the resurrection that has proved once and for all God's faithfulness, regardless of anything that comes our way. And secondly, I think there's also one more application that we can take away from our time today. We need to faithfully proclaim the gospel regardless of the consequences. In Exodus chapter five, as we've seen, Moses and Aaron, they go before Pharaoh, they declare their, their message from God. And as we've seen, it leads to further suffering. You know, I already showed us earlier that as Christians, when we proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim biblical truth, we also should expect to suffer. God has given us a mission and he has given us a message and we can only control our faithfulness to proclaim it. We cannot control the way people respond to it, just like Moses and Aaron could not control the way that Pharaoh responds. But we can take comfort in the fact that God is in control and he is faithful regardless of the outcome, regardless of what comes. You see, really at the end of the day, all of this is linked. Everything that I've talked about today in Exodus 5, it really just feels like a big circle that's all connected. We need to be rooted in God's word as we are proclaiming the gospel. Because if we are rooted in his word, we will be ready to stand firm when suffering comes as a result of us proclaiming. We will be ready to combat and fight doubt when the temptation arises in our hearts. At the end of the day, we have a message and a hope that goes beyond this world. We have a message and a hope that shows us that regardless of circumstances, God remains faithful. So Christian, let's continue to be rooted in God's word Again, remembering what he said and what he's done 
and let's proclaim the gospel boldly, ready to endure with the cross in mind. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today again for your, for your grace, for the love that you have shown us in sending Christ to save us. God, his life, his death, and in his resurrection, we can have the newness of life. God, would you remind us of the grace that you've had towards us? Would you remind us of your faithfulness, regardless of what comes? God, we know that we can trust you in the midst of suffering, that we can trust you in the midst of doubt. God, I pray that you would work that in our hearts this week. Help us to walk in light of this truth this week. In Christ's name, amen.